Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. You've discovered your link to GoPowerCat.com's PowerCat Podcast. Now, here's your host, GoPowerCat.com publisher, Tim Fitzgerald. Welcome to another edition of the PowerCat Insiders Podcast brought to you by Blue Mark Energy. Your crew today is the same as it has been. I am Tim Fitzgerald, joined by my sidekick, Matt Walters. And two guys that know a lot about this basketball team, Ryan Gilbert from the Go Powercat staff and former K-State basketball player and one of our basketball analysts at GPC, Jay Heydrich. And we're sponsored by Blue Mark Energy. Does your company or employer spend $4,000 or more a year on energy bills? Would you like to reduce those costs by 25% or more and maintain the same level of service and reliability? If so, it's time to speak with Blue Mark Energy. Blue Mark Energy, K-State owned and K-State proud. Well, since we last met, K-State has had one game postponed with Iowa State. That was a good move. Tried to get that game to be scheduled when uh, K-State's a little bit healthier because it's very winnable. They've already won at Iowa State. And then they went to Texas for a beatdown on Saturday that the final score of 82-67 doesn't fully reflect because K-State actually finished fairly strong in that game because Texas went into cruise control and, and frankly, K-State didn't give up. They kept playing through the final whistle. In fact, they scored a bucket right at the buzzer to get it to 15, but it was as large as 28 and Texas was missing three key players. So you can't even say that it was just because K-State was shorthanded. K-State was just outmanned and outgunned in that game and it was pretty ugly. And uh, I just wrote a very long piece at gopowercat.com Um 2,400 words in a in a 240-character world, um, but uh, kind of breaking down where K-State basketball is at this moment, where it fits in historically, and what we're witnessing is basically unprecedented in the past 75 years of K-State basketball, back-to-back seasons that will be, uh, in all likelihood, unless there's an incredible turnaround this season. Uh, just uh, really bad seasons. In fact, last year was the most losses in a K-State season. This this season could match that if they can get all their games in, but in all likelihood, COVID will save them from exceeding that mark. Matt, I'm not sure if you were able to watch the game on Saturday against Texas because it was on the Longhorn Network, but your thoughts on this contest? I watched, uh, watched part of it, listened to part of it. Uh, you know, I, that... I don't know that this will come out right, but uh, my expectations just are, you know, they're they're at that middle of the road. I mean, I don't, my expectation level is not going to go way up for this team. My expectation level is not going to go way down for this team. It is what it is. They're not playing without their point guard. Uh, Texas uh, is, again, Uber athletic, Uber talented. You mentioned they were missing a number of their, you know, key players, but you know they st- <laughs> they still have the likes of uh, Jones and Ramey and Coleman and Sims and on and on and on. And uh, you know, Kansas State's margin for error is just 
ridiculously razor thin. It was good that, you know, Luke Kasupke got 10 minutes. Uh, I don't expect him to come out and score 25 a night quite yet. Uh, for that difficult injury that, that, you know, he's finally able to to go for Kansas State. But, uh, you know, K-State's looking up at most everybody in the Big 12 right now, and it's it's going to be that way. You, you're as, uh, was a comic that my dad used to have up in his store way back in the day that the the beatings will continue, and K-State's just, yeah, that's where it is right now. They're going to have to play perfect to beat most of the team's in the Big 12, or that team's going to have to have six or seven and half the team out because of COVID and, and on and on. So, you know, I'm not going to get too high. I'm not going to get too low. It is what it is. I think K-State's going to be a lot better down the road. But right now, it is, it's the grind of all grinds. And the other thing I would say, not to give you too long an answer, is Fitzy, let's see, you were how old in 1982? 1982 was my senior year of high school, so I was 17. Right. So I would have been in like seventh grade. Jay Heidrick would have been five, just barely playing with a Nerf ball out in Beloit. And, uh, yeah, we don't need to say anything about Ryan. Um, that's the last time Duke and North Carolina weren't ranked in the top 25 at the same time. So wow. it happens. It happens. And there's I don't – I don't know that there's a lot else to gloss it up, but just it happens. Every program goes through it, and and right now it's K-State's turn. Jay, I, I don't know if you've had time to read my uh, epic saga of uh, the Bruce Weber follies, maybe. I don't want to be that harsh, but uh, it has uh, – I'm sensing that the fans, even with the pandemic, even with the rebuild, are growing tiresome because of the magnitude of the losses, the non-competitive nature – just where do you sit right now with this program? And, and and I have to say this, the the rebuild is completely on Bruce Weber's plate. I mean, he put the, the program in this position. He has to rebuild. You know, he's been allowed to do that. You can have your opinion on that. But uh, what was completely unpredictable was that a pandemic would hit right as that rebuild arrived and it's made a really difficult task nearly impossible so i i do kind of have sympathy for the cause i wish we weren't in this position as a basketball program but here we are uh a lot going on there just give me your thoughts well i think if you're going to evaluate Bruce, i don't think you can evaluate him just on this year uh, i don't think that would be fair All right but at the same time too if you're not going to evaluate him just on this year where does that lead that evaluation to then? Um, because last year we didn't have a pandemic. We talked, you know, you, you talked about, or a lot of people talked about how K-State was young last year, but at one point five of the top seven people in the lineup were juniors or seniors last year. Um, so it's hard to say that last year's team was, was a really young team too. And then you turn around this year and you have the freshmen and you have the pandemic on top of it. Um, you know, I was talking to some people last night about this, and it, the, the one thing that you have to remember with the pandemic, as hard as that's been, is that even without COVID, this team wasn't going 10 and 8 or 11 and 7 at conference. I mean, this team was going to really, really struggle in, in conference. And, you know, it's, I think the, the frustrating thing um, from the fan side of it is that regardless of the outcome, you still see the same problems coming over and over again that you've seen throughout the tenure. You know, the difficulties on the offensive end of finding any consistency, any flow, 
problems with um, cracking zone defenses. You know, the defense and um, the defense side of the ball has traditionally been pretty good. Um, this year, it's really struggling, though. I mean, they're they're giving up. Uh, I mean, against Texas, Texas shot 52% uh, from the field on them. Uh, this is not a historically good um, uh, Bruce Weber defensive team, as you can see. And part of that's certainly youth on it as well, too. But, you know, there's just a lot of things that that, that are really frustrating right now beyond the youth, beyond the the pandemic that I think that is wearing thin on on a lot of uh, um, uh, K-State fans. But in that same vein, you know, there's been some bright spots, too. Yeah, there have. There have. I mean, I think the thing that uh, really underscores – the uneven nature of this program right now. And somehow I wrote 2,400 words and didn't mention this K state under Bruce Weber is now below 500. I believe four games below 500 in big 12 play. You subtract the two big 12 championship seasons. They are 28 and eight combined. They were 14 and four both seasons. So they were 20 games over 500 in those two seasons. So in the six plus this season, they're like 24 games now below uh, 500 in non-championship seasons and blah, that's not, that's not good. That's not what K-State basketball should be. And, and bluntly put, I don't think the two championships offset that. They're great. They're fantastic. They're historical because K-State hadn't won one since Jack Hartman was coach, but that's still really bad. It's just not good. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm certainly not going to sit here and call for Coach Weber's job or anything like that. I think if you're going to evaluate it, there's a lot of things that go into it. And, you know, in, in talking about this um, with different fans, you know, what, it seems to be that a lot of fans are seem to have this false equivalency. And I know you and I went back and forth on Twitter uh Tim on the other night on this is there's this false equivalency that we have to choose between having historically bad big 12 seasons or seasons overall just to have the conference championship winning seasons and that it is impossible for someone to come to Kansas State University and win championships but in the down year not have it be so low and I guess you know um, I, I don't view that as a uh, as two mutually exclusive options. I, I think that you can uh, perform at a championship level on a high level. And when you have down years, not have them be so just historically bad. And, and, you know, there, there, again, there's a lot of things that go into that. Some of it's coach's fault. Some of it's not coach's fault. I think that, you know, it frustrates me when people say he doesn't get credit for the first big 12 championship because those are Frank's kids. He absolutely does. He absolutely gets credit for both uh, championship seasons. He got those, the, his name was on the coach. You know, he, he did something that the other coaches haven't been able to do and he deserves 100% credit for that. Then the flip side is that he also gets credit for the last two seasons too. And the downsides that they go with that too. And, and, and we got to figure out a way to um, not have so many peaks and valleys. Cause at the end of the day, it really just pretty average when you, when you get down to it. Right. You're exactly right. Um, <laughs> Ryan Gilbert, you, I value you in this conversation because you've got three old guys of leveling downwards, levels of old, me being at the top of old, unfortunately. But you come at this probably Speak from for yourself. Month. Yeah, I know. Uh, I'm not old. Yeah, okay, kid. Uh, you come at this from a different approach. Being, uh, what are you, 21? 
right? Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, Still a virgin. And um, (laughs) sorry, had to throw that in there. And um, you see things probably from a much narrower scope because you don't have the historical background. But you don't have to go back that far from the year Bob Huggins was hired to through the first two years of Bruce Weber. One under Huggins, five under Frank Martin, and two under Bruce Weber. They averaged more than twenty-three victories a season. So, any by any calculation, an eight-year stretch of that is con- the consistency that Jay mentioned, without winning a title. But then they did have the one title there, and then they dropped back off. They won another title. How do you feel about this, this up and down, as I call it, the old wooden roller coaster ride in which the highs are fantastic and a blast, but the other parts of the ride just beat the crap out of you? How how do you approach this as a 21-year-old K-Stater? I I see both sides to what you are saying and what Jay is saying. Um, I 100% would would love to have to go back to Frank and, you know, get 20, 21 wins a season. Um, but the ceilings, like, I mean, obviously the elite eight runs were great with Frank, but, uh, I, I value the big 12 championships a lot. And that's just my personal, uh, you know, opinion since Bruce came, you know, to Manhattan, only Bill self has, has won multiple big 12 championships. So that's an impressive stat for Bruce. So you can knock on him all you want. And I, um, hundred percent agree, you know, <laughs> that the, the downs and the valleys really, really are painful and, and they are on him hundred percent, but you got to give credit where credit's due uh, for, for winning those titles. Um, I I'm on the fence though. I don't want to take one side or the other, but uh, perfect world. We still have Frank Martin in Manhattan and we don't have to really worry about this. Cause I'm, you know, like most people could agree that and confidently say that yeah, maybe there's a year or two that, that Frank Martin's teams misses the tournament, but Maybe they're only on the bubble and they miss it by a game or two. When when Bruce's teams have missed the tournament, it's been ugly. So I I, I get what both of you guys are saying, but I, I'm kind of with Jay. Those two championships, I value those a lot personally. Yeah. Um, I have an interesting opinion about that, and I think everyone knows I'm a fan of Frank Martin. I don't think he should have been run out of town. Um I appreciate that he's taking the high road and denying that happened, but we all know it happened. Um, but I'm of the opinion that K-State probably doesn't win the Big 12 title without Bruce Weber because I, I saw a situation there where the team maintained all of the things that Frank Martin had put into them, the toughness, the defense, the, the locker room environment, the team attitude. And then Bruce Weber comes in and adds the things Bruce Weber does well, and it worked out extremely well for that group of players. And I believe Weber won a title. Honestly, I'm not sure Frank would have. Maybe he would have. Maybe he would have won it outright. But I'm comfortable in saying, Matt Walters, that I I credit Bruce wholly for that. It's not like I subtract it because they were Frank's players. He took someone else's players and accomplished something with guys that he hadn't recruited. And I think there's something to be said about that. That's that's a hard thing to do because uh, you're again taking somebody else's players. I, I would I would fire off a question in that: How did K State get to this point? What what's led to it? What have been the primary reasons that K State's in this situation? Well, I will go with two parts on that. One is 
uh, and I know Jay shares this opinion, he does not manage a locker room very well. He, he has lost his lock control of his locker room because of, if you want to call them alphas, I'll, you can, two very strong-willed players in Marcus Foster and Cartier Jada who led teammates down the wrong path. And it soured the locker room. It wasn't a good team environment. Uh, there was a lot of me instead of we, uh, and that went very poorly for the program and led to having to clean out that locker room and rebuild. Point two, though, is what Jay brought up earlier was the fact that last year was a team that had plenty of juniors and seniors on it. <clears throat> and following the loss of the big three, they still saw an historic drop off. And that means they did not recruit well between the signing of Wade, Stokes and Brown and all the way through to what we see now. This was the first significant recruiting class. Maybe last year's was notable, but they basically went three years with signing two high school players that really, really contributed at a high level, being Xavier Seed and Cartier Jada. And we just mentioned Cartier kind of came off the rails. So you got to recruit every year. You can't take time off, and you can't use the self-absorbing excuse that, well, we have so many good players, nobody wants to play with us. We don't see that excuse applied at other programs. Jay? Yeah, I think it's a multifaceted answer there, and it's a great question, Matt. Um, I think it's two, twofold. One is the attrition. Um, when, when you lose multiple kids at the end of a season, the – the pool of available replacement players is just thin. And so if, if you're going to replace the 12th and 13th kid on your roster because they're leaving because they're not playing, that's one thing. But when you're losing contributors, even mid-level contributors in the middle of the season, and you have to go replace them with kids that are available in April, those kids, they're, they're just – there's a reason why they're available in April. Um, so that's one thing is I think the attrition has really, really hurt him. Um, the other thing is that Bruce is known as, as a player's coach. And, you know, we've heard stories about how kids love playing for him and he's a great man and a great person. But I think that that can come back and bite him a little bit um, in that he might be too much of a player's coach. You know, he, he stayed too long with Marcus Foster, stayed too long with Cartier Jada. And he, you know, honestly, if you're going to be critical on a guy for believing in kids too much and giving kids too many chances, then that's probably a good criticism to have. You know, I, I'm sure that, that if that's the worst thing we're complaining about, then, then that's a pretty good deal. But at the same time, too, you know, when you compare it to Frank's teams as well, um, you know, there was no question who was running the show when Frank was there. Um, you set a screen, you boxed out, you attacked the, bo attacked the boards, you cut hard on screen on on offense, or you went and saw Scott Greenwald the corner, and that was not fun for anybody. It wasn't fun to watch. It wasn't fun to do, um, and th there was no. I mean, like they, they had the blow up last year with Cartier Jada and Bruce at um, Tech, I believe. Um, you know, that wouldn't have happened under Frank. Um, and and right, wrong, or different, that's what it would have been. And so I think that. You know, that level of instilling the discipline necessary, I think, is missing. And when I say that, I'm not talking about kids going out and getting in trouble. I'm just talking about if you look back at, at Bruce's first year with 
Will Spradling and Shane Southwell and Riding Ruder and those guys. Think about how many easy buckets they got on things like back doors, um, on lobs, on uh, just manufacturing because they were disciplined on offense. They had something. They did those things. And and Bruce brought you know the the the, the knowledge and the offensive acumen in to go along with the discipline those kids already possessed. And so I think that's the the, the two biggest things that I see of where we are here is that you know you have the attrition issue, which I think is huge. Um, which puts you in the, in the inbounds classes. And I, I just, I don't see the, the discipline to um, take good shots, have good spacing, all those things that we talk about repeatedly on offense. And I think that that repeated year over year is one thing that gets really frustrating for K-State fans too. You know, Ryan Gilbert, the big three changed a lot about K-State basketball. <laughs> Excuse me. But um, people do forget there were eight members of that recruiting class and only three survived. I don't think that's going to happen with this group. There might be eight newcomers in this group. I, I don't see any washouts, and maybe they will leave for the exact reason Jay mentioned. They're just not going to play enough. There's not enough minutes to be had. But I don't see any dramatic misses in recruiting with this group of eight. And so it leaves me very optimistic while disappointed in the current status of the program, last year's losses, and continuing into this year. I see a tremendous upside with this group. You mentioned it a lot too with you know Sierra Lewis, who I, I don't want to call him you know the, the filler of the class, but he was last in the cycle, so he makes hustle plays. There's a lot of you know uh, bright moments ahead of him, and with Carlton, like you said, you know he can he can shoot the ball, he can do you know, a lot of different things as a big man, and then even Kazuki, I think once he gets healthy, he's going to be really good. And then the other you know three or four guys goes without saying that they're <laughs> you, you you really don't see them. Uh, going anywhere else as long as they stay bought in. So it's definitely optimistic looking forward. Uh, going back to to the point that we were talking about, I, I did some stories this, this past fall with some former basketball players, and I remember asking them, um, was how much different was it going from Frank Martin to Bruce Weber? And they really just said it wasn't that different. Obviously, you know, some different styles of, of, of coaching and, you know, stuff like that. But I, I don't know if it's – if if, um, you know, I could go coach those guys uh, Bruce's first year and maybe they would have would have won the Big 12. I mean, I, I don't know how much Bruce did. Obviously, you give him credit, but um, it's tough. But again, circling around to a different point we made, I, the question you asked them, it's all about recruiting good players. Uh, and I mean good players, good people, good personalities, hard workers. Um, not to say that Cartier isn't, but or any of those guys aren't good people, but if you, if you get the right players, then, then Bruce will be fine moving forward. That's been his Achilles heel is not getting the right players uh, and also not managing them as well. So that as they're, I think they're coming after me. <laughs> they're coming after me. Um, yeah. But just getting the right players is key. It's I'm going to go back to the question because it's recruiting, it's missing and it's offense. You know, defensively, Kansas State has been pretty salty at the defensive end of the floor. But if you're going to go by the the positions one through five, really until now with Davion Bradford, K-State has whiffed. I mean, they have been strikeout prone in the middle for a long, long time. I mean, outside of maybe like, you know, 
Curtis Kelly, Kansas State has whiffed inside for years and years and years. They've not gotten that kind of guy. Um, and for me, that's it. I go back to what Jay said about, you know, the attrition in that you're either not recruiting enough and getting the kind of guys that are going to take you to that level or you're, or you're losing them. And I think offensively, I think there's a point in time where you just, you have to put your foot down with certain guys. I, you know, uh, Cartier Jada was a very good role player behind the guys that were here before him. And then when it fell to, you're not a role player anymore. You're the guy. He didn't handle it. What, what's he doing at Virginia tech right now? Is he averaging 17 a game? No, he quit. Is he averaging six assists a game? No, he quit. And he had his guy, Chester Frazier, right there with him. And Chester brought him to Blacksburg. So that's why you, you everybody has their turn at the bottom of the barrel. And I'm going to go with the, the, the mantra of, I don't really think, like you said, there's going to be a lot of guys in this class that bolt. They're going to get Logan Landers in. Um, you know, they've got they got Maximus from one of the great movies of all time. His nickname's going to be Gladiator. Um, and in two or three years, if this team sticks together, you know, again, you're kind of riding that roller coaster. But but they're going to be back. Are they going to win the Big Twelve? Are they going to be like a Baylor or a Texas right now? I don't know, but. It just happens. But for me, I'm, I'm going with recruiting. That is the first place I'm starting. And K-State has had way too many misses in the last six, seven, eight years. You just can't whiff that often. Nope. What's, the, uh, what's this group's conventional wisdom on what's happening with Montavious Murphy um, and the tweet he said where he's going to be home for in a couple of days for two months? Uh, to me, that I mean, I – I don't want to read too much into it, but at the same time, too, for a kid who just had surgery, I can't imagine there's any better rehab places um, uh, than Manhattan, Kansas. Uh, what's, what's everybody reading into that? Uh, I, I strongly suspect and that this is something that is not worth playing basketball. Chronic knee issues. I, I, I almost feel like this is a David Hoskins type issue where he's just genetically has something wrong in his knees. Now both of them have failed and he's probably thinking might be, uh, we got to set it out for a while and maybe I can get back to it. But uh, my guess is he may not play again. That's just purely speculation too, because in this year we're not allowed to be around anyone other than zoom calls. So you don't get any context there, but just from some of the things Bruce has said, I feel like uh, this is very chronic and uh, surgery can help it, but not completely fix it. So, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think, uh, I think Montavious might have seen his last time on the court, but that again, a guess. I would start with that, and I would start with when the physical part goes, then the mental part mm-hmm. can go, and your heart's just not in it anymore. Yep. And uh, it, it's to me, it's not a case of there's writing on the wall that he's not going to play because Montavious would play. He, you know, could, could be a starter and was one of K State's best defenders. So, um, you know, you could even somebody could even throw in that you know the family gets involved and hey, he's going to get taken care of health wise and rehab down here where he's from. But uh, again, it can it could be one of a million things. But um, 
it, uh, to me, it's it's physical, and then it gets into the. Uh, I'm not sure that I want this anymore. Yep, and that's 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 a huge concern um, as we move forward with the middle part. For me, Matt, is because uh, I agree. I, I think that if this class stays together, they have a chance to do some really special things. There's some um, talented kids here. I just, I just hope that they can maintain the mental toughness with the pandemic, with all the losing, with, you know, everything else that goes along with being a student um, and a student athlete, you know, because in, in today's culture where the transfer portal is always open and where there's no penalty to do that, uh, to, to transfer, um, it, 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 it it makes it, um, it it makes it difficult. A lot. I can just see a lot of kids saying, "You know what? This isn't what I thought it was going to be." In, in chasing greener grass. Uh, Fitz, I want to go back to something I said during the football season, and Bruce referenced the exact same thing during a, a post game session with, with us on the radio, not too t- not too terrible long ago. It, with with how things were shaping up for football and what transpired, it, to me, this was my opinion in that. It was a season that didn't matter. And what I meant by that and what I've said multiple times is the, to me, the wins or losses and all that, all everything that goes into that normal season just wasn't there to me. It was mentally and physically surviving the season, you know, just taking some steps forward because there's always going to be an asterisk by this season, whether you're K state or TCU or, or whomever in the big 12, Bruce made the comment a couple of weeks ago, again, in a post game show that he has a friend that constantly tells him this season doesn't matter. And Bruce doesn't buy that. And, and I'm okay with that. This season to me, isn't going to matter again, in terms of wins and losses, it's going to matter in terms of did Bruce Weber, did Chris Lowry, did Shane Southwell, um, you know, did, did this coaching staff, um, do the things necessary both in the locker room and on the floor to set a path for the next couple of years, keeping kids mentally together, keeping them positive during the the toughest stretch uh, that really any team has ever seen. Um, We're going to find that out. I, I think that there are immense positives for this team. There are certain areas they've got to get better, but to me, this is a season where what what you would say typically matters is totally different than it's ever been before. You know, I I become a person that can find bright spots in any situation. I've asked Bruce about this now. It's forcing some of these young guys into situations that they wouldn't be in during a normal season. If you had everyone fairly healthy, you didn't have COVID absences, and you had your full roster, Sari Lewis wouldn't be playing. He'd, he'd be redshirting, and Bruce has said that. He'd, he clearly needs some experience, but this year doesn't count. It literally doesn't count in terms of eligibility. It's a free season for a kid like that. He plays six-plus minutes at Texas. He's played significant minutes in other games. He shows flashes of being really athletic. I keep making the Jabbar Samuels comparison. I really see a lot going on there. Luke Kasupki comes back, plays his first game since major foot surgery, Hasn't had enough practice, but because of the necessity of this situation, he plays 10 minutes. He's disciplined enough not to take a shot because he knows he hasn't played enough. I thought that was the best thing he did. I'm not I'm not the gunner, 
you know, I'm I'm not I I'm known for shooting three pointers, but I'm not in system yet. I'm going to do all the little stuff, and he plays ten minutes, which was more than any of us imagined. A guy like Selton Miguel, it continues to struggle with shooting the ball, but the, he's a player that can do a lot of other things. Plays thirty three minutes against the level of talent he did against Texas. And that's a positive. Rudy Williams is now forced into a lot of minutes, and he has the potential to be a senior leader next year for this team, even though he's a junior college transfer. So I find bright spots in the midst of this pandemic that guys are being put into situations that make them uncomfortable, ask more than should be asked of them, and I think at the end of the day, it'll make them better. Makes the season painful to watch, but at the end of the day, it'll make them better. And I don't care who the coach is. You know, at the end of the day, someone will coach these kids, and most of them probably will stick around because they'll, they'll you know, be K-Staters at some point. Maybe they'll leave because the portal's so tantalizing. But I, I'm investing my emotion, if you want to say that, into these kids because I sincerely like this group of players, and from what I te- what I can tell with our Zoom contacts, contacts, I sincerely like this group of young men, and that makes me feel better about the future of K State basketball. Well, that'll do it for the first half of the Powercat Insiders podcast. We've got some other topics. K State, in all likelihood, will play Tuesday night. Tuesday evening, a weird 5.30 tip at Oklahoma on another channel I don't get. They're not being very thoughtful of Tim Fitzgerald and what games are being shown on what channels right now. K-State and Oklahoma will take a peek at that. And we've got some other random topics about K-State sports in the Big 12 as the Powercat Insiders, sponsored by Blue Mark Energy, persists. The Powercat Podcast will be right back. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We now send it back to the PowerCat Podcast. Welcome back to the PowerCat Insiders Podcast, brought to you by GoPowerCat.com and Blue Mark Energy. Tim Fitzgerald, Matt Walters, Jay Heidrich, and Ryan Gilbert kind of shaped up to be your usual cast. We'll get some of the other former players back in. It seems like work, life, and now with Griff uh, vacation. Uh, when he told me he was in Key West, Jay, I'm like, well, why are you even returning my text? Just Yeah, uh, well... With Griff, it's it's unique because he lives in San Diego, and, yeah. so it's not like he's leaving 
27 degree Kansas to go to Key West. He's going from paradise to paradise. Right. right? So I don't have a whole lot of sympathy for him. That's like me taking vacation to Iowa. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of equivalent. Uh, so many problems for Chris Griffin. I feel badly for him. Blue Mark Energy is a natural gas products and services provider serving feed yards, hospitals, hotels, manufacturers, and school districts throughout the Midwest. And Blue Mark Energy is the natural gas provider for the Kansas State campuses in Manhattan and Salina. Blue Mark Energy, K-State owned and K-State proud. We continue our discussion about K-State sports. Um, Jay, I mentioned this earlier today in one of our text groups. That this game at Oklahoma, if you start looking at this remaining schedule for K-State, if they get that Iowa State game rescheduled, knock on whatever my desk is made of, hopefully they do because that's the most winnable game they have. This game at Oklahoma uh, and the return trip to Manhattan, which is later, those are two opportunities to win. But but I point this out in my column at Go Powercat today, K-State's so far down the depth chart of Big 12 basketball this season and a very good season of Big 12 basketball in all fairness Oklahoma being mid-level seems unattainable that's how that's how far down it is and but this is one they could potentially go steal if they hit the right notes at the right time and I'm trying here Jay am I totally wrong yeah I mean Bruce has had success against Oklahoma and Long Kruger there's been several games where I think if people are going to be really honest, you wouldn't have given K-State a chance to win some of those games um, against some of those really good Oklahoma teams a a few years ago. And Bruce always seems to figure out a way to have Oklahoma and Lon's number. So, um, you know, I think Oklahoma, I don't know what the line is, but I'm sure they're favored. Um, But yeah, it'd be surprising to see K-State go down and win there, but would would it be, would I be absolutely shocked? No, I wouldn't. Um, and, and I think that there's going to be opportunity. That's the one thing COVID is going to provide too. Is you know, as just like K State had to play with six scholarship players against Oklahoma State, there's going to be somebody else who is going to have to play K State with six scholarship players um, in the future too. So that, that that table might turn. And, and there's one thing I was talking with Missy about this the, uh, the other night about COVID is. One thing we got to remember is that you talk about having six scholarship players and, and who the six are certainly does matter. But we're also in a time of the season where a lot of college teams around the country are only playing seven kids, maybe eight kids. You know, I think Oklahoma State played seven kids more than four minutes um, when, when we played them. So uh, it is it, the, the six scholarship players, who they are certainly matters. But we're also at a time where um, a lot of teams are playing reduced, reduced. They got their roster set and they're not playing 10, 12 kids like they were earlier on the year. Yep, that's very true. Unfortunately for K-State, they haven't been able to get anything set. They had a starting lineup, and now they're missing, what, three of the guys that were in that starting lineup. All they got Antonio Gordon back. So, um, yeah, it's just been really difficult. Matt, uh, 5.30 p.m., Oklahoma at uh, or Kansas State at Oklahoma on Tuesday. The women go to West Virginia on Wednesday to resume action. That could be really interesting. They've got to be really rusty after, what, a three-week layoff. Your thoughts as the men go to Norman? 
Well, I think that's a game that the K-State can win. I think Oklahoma's better offensively. I'm not sure Oklahoma's a, a great defensive team by any stretch. But again, it's a it's a case of Oklahoma's going to have to play down a little bit, and, and K-State's going to have to play up and do a lot of things right, do a lot of things, uh, you know, do a lot of things well. You know, I, you think back to Saturday night, K-State only took 19 threes, and in the second half they only took seven. And it just it, that leads me back to you know some comments from earlier in the in the show today is you know setting good picks, uh, backdoor some people, just get some high percentage shots. You know, K State shot forty three percent for the game, took one less shot than Texas. They just you know they they don't they have that stretch that just buries them. Uh, and, and that was the spot where I went from watching to listening when the, you know, that run got up to 18-0 and next thing you know, it's just, it's totally out of hands. And that's what you have to get away from. And, um, you know, there are coaches that are great about not letting the opponent get away. They use their timeouts sooner. And there are times I think where you got to let guys play through it guys or gals for that matter. But there's also that time where, you know, you, you just got to get that timeout called and not let what's maybe a, a six Oh run blossom into a 12 Oh run and something like that. And um, it won't surprise me the least. I think the women are going to be, well, I, I don't envy Jeff Mitty. They play West Virginia, which is they're, they're thumping people. I mean, Texas came in here and I thought Texas was just, you know, unbelievable. And then Texas gets beat by 30 plus by West Virginia's women. So, you know, hang on. And then the other night, Iowa State wins in Waco. So the Big 12 women's race is, is just absolutely crazy. They've got KU uh, this coming weekend down in Lawrence and the next week, two makeups at home on Monday and Thursday. So it's, it's it's a wild time. It's yep. just a wild time. Chaotic indeed. Uh, Ryan Gilbert, uh, Matt brings up a really good point. Um, <clears throat> offensively, K-State can can play if they get up and down the court and are relaxed. They can, they, there's some guys that can score on this team. They take too many threes. We all know that. But the foundation of Bruce Weber basketball is defense, and this team hasn't learned it yet. They're not even close to being where Bruce Weber wants them to be. And honestly, they're not even close to where any Big 12 team should be. Texas shot 39% from three. They took 31. More than half of their shots were from three against K-State. When you're hitting 39% of 31 shots, that's scoring a lot of points from distance. But the problem was when they decided not to shoot a three, they shot 68% from inside the arc. That's just giving guys easy looks at the rim. That's just, that's horrible. That's horrible defensively. That's not blocking out. That's not doing anything well on the defensive end. That has to correct itself. And I honestly don't know how a coach can correct that when you're trying to teach defense to a bunch of guys that never have 10 players in practice to go full five on five. I hope you're not turning to me for, you know, expert analysis because I got cut from, from my high school team. So, but yeah, I know we've talked about it a lot on here. They didn't have, uh, you know, an, a, a real good off season and, and also iron sharpens iron. So when you don't have to go up against, uh, you know, really good seniors in practice, I think it's hard to get a, a real good feel for what it's actually going to be like in a real big 12 game. So, I, I still, I think they're trying, they're giving good effort, but it's just kind of a lack of communication. Um, the more, you know, reps they get on, on and off the court, you know, in practice, the better they will get. As for Oklahoma, 
that's a team that's playing well. You know, Brady Manick missed a few games for the Sooners uh, with, with COVID issues. And, you know, you thought they would, you know, kind of, you know, take a, a drop off after that. I'd say you can argue he's one of their best players and they almost beat Kansas. Uh, I believe, or I guess that was an outfield house. Um, and then they played TCU and blew them out in Norman. So they're playing well. I think the one thing, if, if you're K-State, that you got to be optimistic about is the element of surprise. If you're Oklahoma and you're watching the tape of that Texas game, you know, that K-State had on Saturday, you're going to look at that and be like, we don't even need to try. We don't need to watch this. We don't need to even go through our scouts, right? This is going to be an easy win. So you can catch some opponents sleeping. We saw that last year a lot with Baylor. Uh, they really put cruise control on uh, against their lesser opponents, so I, I'm not saying K-State's going to win, but I think that they're going to catch some teams off guard here sooner or later. These are, I know K-State's rosters, they're young, they're freshmen, but these are still D1 players. They got recruited for a reason. They're going to make a surprise or two soon. I, I believe it. I do. Yeah. Uh, to, to, to jump in on that, Ryan, um, the one thing that concerns me about Oklahoma not being a great defensive team is that it's almost going to force K-State to be more disciplined you know it, it goes down to the there's a reason why you're open and if Oklahoma's not playing great defense I could see a scenario where K-State just takes even more bad shots because they're open they're not being closed out on you know and they and they have that and they have that opportunity and it kind of falls in the category of just because you you, you can doesn't mean you should and so K-State's going to have to be even more disciplined to pass up some shots to maybe get a better shot. To, uh, otherwise, if they just settle up, settle for the three all game, as Matt pointed out, Oklahoma's going to push it. They're going to want to score. You know, Brady Manick, who I'm pretty sure is older than me, but still in Oklahoma, um, is, uh, uh, you know, uh, an offensive-minded player who's going to look to score first. If I hope he's healthy from his battle with COVID, but if Brady Manick is pale and lost weight, would we be able to tell? I don't, I mean, I don't think so. Maybe he let his hair grow. Maybe, maybe he went all shock of smart and he's got this big hairdo now. I don't know. I, yeah, the defense is so troubling. Uh, Jay, as a parent, how many times have you given that advice? Just because you can doesn't mean you should. A lot. And I've heard it a lot too. Yeah, I've, I've, I really need to live by that. That, yeah. that is a really good uh, advice. Uh, fellas, uh, let's kind of pivot here. The Texas game was on the Longhorn Network. This game is on Fox Sports Network, whatever, you know, the regional network's now owned by Sinclair. It's a weird tip time because there's a Thunder game, so they need to get this over with so that the, the channel's clear for the Thunder. Um, but... If you don't have cable, you pretty much don't get either one of those channels. And I'm all for the Tier 3 rights. I think the Big 12 actually does it right, um, you know, allowing teams to continue with their Tier 3. But why in the hell do these two prominent programs have Tier 3 rights that people can't see? If you're a Texas fan outside of the state of Texas, you've got to either get Hulu or you're not watching the Longhorn Network. Um, and... You know, for that matter, almost no one that's in the streaming world right now can watch Fox Sports because Sinclair is playing such hardball with their, their rights that they're killing themselves. I mean, they better figure this out before the Royals start because I'm going to get nasty, Matt Walters. You're you're got, our media rights expert, Matt. What do you think? I got five letters for you. You ready? Yeah. 
R-A-D-I-O. It's free. Yeah, there we go. There we go. I should have thought that's where he's going to go with this. Because guys like you and Smoller and, and Wyatt paint such a picture, I don't need TV. That's right. You don't need TV. Hmm. You can listen to it for free at kstatesports.com. There's the tune-in app. There's all sorts of ways. Uh, and, and fits with your brain. It, there needs to be a little imagination created. So I would encourage you to listen to more radio. But Probably it, it is it is a valid concern, Tim. Because oh, it is. What, what, what one of the one of the biggest fears? You know, I've always said that I'd rather have fans that are upset um, at a program and a coach and, and being vocal than fans that are just quiet and then they're apathetic about it. And you know, I, I as, as frustrating as the season is, I still enjoy turning on the TV and watching K State play, and and hopefully we can see some some bright spots. But you know, you, you, when you're when you're having all these difficulties with the pandemic and two losing seasons and things like that, and then you can't even turn on to watch the team. You know, especially in met, more metro cities, you you run the risk of fans becoming more and more apathetic, and then you got to go get them back, and you got to get their dollars back, and you got to do that. I, I think that that's it's not an understated risk um, that um, when fans can't watch their teams play. Ryan Gilbert, uh, you're the kid here, um, and you understand the streaming world better than us old people. But here's what I don't get. Um, the TV has really moved into the streaming world so much more where I can now subscribe to, I can pay more than I ever did for cable by just subscribing to too many networks. And I got Peacock I can get, I got Discovery Plus I can get, I got all these different channels popping up. And yet I cannot subscribe to the Longhorn Network as a streaming standalone ESPN as a streaming standalone or Fox Sports as a streaming standalone. Why? It makes no sense to me. I would like to give them my money and they won't take it. Your guess is as good as mine. Crackling come over to watch. Are you, are you, are you going to get the game? No. Against Oklahoma or not? No. Well, who's going to do the updates? Uh, well, I, I don't know. I'm, <laughs> you know, if we, did, if we didn't do updates, uh, would anyone notice? Uh, that's and that gets back to what Jay said. You know, there was a few people out there complaining about not th- seeing the Longhorn Network, have not having the option. How do I watch? How do I watch? But for the most part, nobody gave a crap. Nobody gave a crap, and that was probably a, an upside for Bruce Weber that more fans didn't see what happened. They may not see it on Tuesday either. I'll figure out how to watch it. I'll I'll find an illegal stream. I live on the edge. Damn it, I can do it. I'll listen to Wyatt and Stan. Well, watching an illegal stream and drinking a beer, because I'm I'm crazy that way. Another as, general counsel for, as general counsel for GoPowerTac.com, all statements stated herein are jokes and or not serious to me. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Mother There we go. Thank you. Thank you, attorney. <laughs> um, and he is, actually. Um, one more thing, guys, before we go. I, I'm, I'm a big Chiefs fan. <laughs> Uh, I'm a big Chiefs fan, and I'm a big Big 12 football fan. And we heard for a lot of years that the Big 12 didn't play defense, and the poster child of that argument was October 22nd, 2016. I was in a hotel room, I think at Fort Worth, um, catching this game after covering a K-State game. Oklahoma 66, Texas Tech 59, Baker Mayfield quarterbacking Oklahoma, Patrick Mahomes 
quarterbacking Texas Tech. The most amazing stat of the game, though, wasn't the fact that that many points were scored. Both teams accumulated exactly 854 yards of offense apiece. That's an obnoxious number that is basically unheard of. I've heard of teams scoring 66 and 59. 854 yards in a game is crazy. Both of them did it. And then we saw both of those quarterbacks playing yesterday in the AFC divisional round, leading teams that they have helped turn around. Literally, these quarterbacks have saved franchises from what they have been. And it was a great game, low scoring, but two very dynamic quarterbacks who are leading their team. Matt, maybe it wasn't the defense. All those, maybe it wasn't, maybe there were some damn good quarterbacks in the Big 12 back then. Yeah, uh, all those from the outside looking in don't, you know, I don't know that they knew what they were talking about. It's just like, you know, this year is, is the Big Ten really the better basketball conference than the Big 12? I guess we'll we'll find out. But, you know, I'm, uh, it was it was entertaining football. You know, Baker Mayfield has started to come around. I was afraid he was going to go Johnny Manziel and, you know, disappear and, and never – you know, live up to what the hype was, but, um, you know, the the other, I'm going to pivot right quick, Fitzy. So I apologize, but as fun as that was to watch, I can't begin to tell you just the smiles I had when you know we saw about Darren Sproles getting elected into the college football hall of fame. To me, that was one of the, one of the highlights of the week and uh, just absolutely thrilled uh, for for that guy and, and his family and for Coach Snyder to be involved and in letting him know about it that was that was one of the highlights of the past week. Jay, pick a topic. No, I I agree on the uh, on the offense. Um, it's funny because you remember those what was it probably ten years ago? It was the game of the century between Alabama and LSU that ended up three nothing. Like well, that. That that seems, sure seems like a hell of a lot more fun than uh, what Alabama's doing now. And if you look at back then, everyone looked at the Big 12 and said, look at these running gun offenses. They don't play any defense. They'll never survive. And now here's the mighty SEC um, doing the same type of thing. I mean, utilizing speed and, and uh, up-tempo and scoring. And lo and behold, it's a hell of a lot more fun to watch that than is a 3 nothing game of three yards and a clot of dirt. It is. It is. Uh, Gills, I assume you're a Chiefs fan growing up in Kansas City. Um, when they picked Patrick Mahomes, I got it. And I'm not a I'm not a person that believes in tech quarterbacks. I, I do think they're system quarterbacks. Patrick Mahomes was different. I could see he was different. There was something special about him. Uh, he couldn't beat K-State. But anyhow, uh, what he's done for the franchise is absolutely amazing and does speak volumes about the level of play in the Big 12 Conference and the fact that K-State was – you know, holding its own against a guy like Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, prayers up to Mahomes, and you know, fingers crossed it. He's able to play on Sunday. I, 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 I hope it's a lean towards yes. But Mahomes was, I, I, I mean, I've, I've followed the Big Twelve and K State my whole life, but I don't remember much of Mahomes from Texas Tech. If I'm being quite honest with you, I don't know if I'm the only one who thinks that, but that's just me. That, that's just me. But yeah. He's awesome, and I, I would take him over Mayfield any day. It, it, am I wrong that Baker Mayfield transferred from Texas Tech yeah, because Mahomes came in? Think about that. Well, Mayfield hosted him on his recruiting visit. 
Yeah. I mean, it's just incredible what what was going on in Lubbock with those quarterbacks. Just an absolutely amazing factory of of great quarterbacks. Uh, back to the topic, Matt. Uh, I'm so happy for Darren Sproles. What a prince of a guy. His reaction on the video with Coach Snyder uh, was just incredible. I mean, Coach mentioned on the uh, SiriusXM interview he did uh, with Ari Timken that that's about the most emotion he's ever seen out of Darren. I thought that was pretty funny. But uh, the topic came up on that interview about Michael Bishop. Coach has uh, asked for Michael Bishop to be included. He wasn't again. He got votes, though. He's not eligible again until 23. Damn it, Michael Bishop literally changed college football and put up back-to-back seasons that were unheard of. And just because it took place at Kansas State, I feel like, and that he was a junior college transfer, I feel like he is being excluded and it's wrong, and it needs to be corrected. This dude belongs in the College Football Hall of Fame. Yep, there's not a whole lot else to say. I mean, period, end of sentence. He deserves to be in there. He should be in there, and, um, you know, he better be in there. He, he, The junior college aspect is, I think, where some people are, you know, where they've got their, uh, got a burr in their saddle, which that doesn't, that doesn't matter what he did in two years in Manhattan was just remarkable. So yeah, there's, there's no doubt he belongs. And, and Jade, the fact that he's from junior college is one of the reasons why I think he should be included because you can literally look at college football pre Michael Bishop in that recruiting class, not just him. There was a number of great impactful players in that recruiting class from the junior college ranks before that group recruiting junior college players was dirty, was cutting corners, you couldn't win, you couldn't be consistent doing it, and they proved all of that wrong and forever changed college football because now, maybe the portal's changing that, now everyone gets junior college players. Alabama does. USC does. It doesn't matter where you are. If you're good enough out of JUCO, they will take you, and that wasn't true pre-Michael Bishop. Yeah, I mean, and it just kind of shows how close-minded some people are. I mean, we, we see it with K-State fans. There are K-State fans out there who argue that that Michael Beasley should not have his number in the rafters because he was only here one year, <laughs> despite the fact that he arguably had the greatest freshman year in the history of college basketball. And you could make an argument that he is the most talented player to ever play at K-State. There are people who say, well, he was only here one year. And so I'm sure that that just carries over with Bishop, too. Well, he only did it at the P5 level for two years. So when you're talking about Hall of Fame, you know, he really only did it his junior, senior year. And it just makes it makes no sense. The numbers are what they are. However, you got there, um, you know, Michael Bishop's a college football Hall of Fame, uh, uh, fame caliber player and deserves to be in there. Like Matt said, that really hard stop after that. Ryan Gilbert, should Michael Beasley go up in the rafters? Uh, well, I don't want to fight with Jay. But See, you're going to say no? Uh, I don't know. What do you? Am I the only one who thinks no? I think so, probably. I'll, I'll say this about Michael. Um, he played in the Big 12 simultaneous to Kevin Durant and Chris Griffin. Not Chris Griffin. Blake Griffin. Sorry, Chris. <laughs> Boy, did we elevate Chris there for a second. Blake Griffin. There was no doubt who the best player was. And I, I'm not being a homer here. There was no doubt Michael Beasley was the better of the college players. Now we saw what happened when he tried to go to the NBA. Um, I said it at the time he was drafted by Miami. Worst place possible for him to go. Worst place. 
He belonged in Minnesota or someplace like Baker Mayfield to Cleveland. He belonged in San Antonio with Greg Popovich. Oh, my gosh. What happened? What happened? But he belongs in the rafters. Other guys belong in the rafters. Got to get pulling up there. I think Barry Brown goes up. I'm kind of I'm indifferent about Dean Wade. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, guys, a lot of topics here. Appreciate it. It was a great addition to the PowerCat Insiders podcast. We will reconvene next week following uh, K-State basketball win at Oklahoma and another one uh, against West Virginia. And the women will win against West Virginia because I'm really optimistic. I'm feeling good. This pandemic's really made me optimistic. PowerCat Podcast. All rights reserved. GoPowerCat.com and Spirit Street Publishing.